Apparently the photographs were bought by the Sunday Mirror, who we understand paid £250,000. The fiercest bidding war in Fleet Street history. The Sun and Daily Mail have each paid £100,000 just to reproduce the images. What's in the photographs? I gather they have several of the couple kissing. Do we know they're going to be published? This Sunday. With an extensive advertising campaign on television in the days before. I'm afraid it would be almost impossible to avoid. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman, and this is the show that follows the sixth and final season of the Netflix series, The Crown, episode by episode. We'll take you behind the scenes, speaking to many of the creators involved and diving deep into the stories. Today, we'll be talking about episode two, two photographs. It's 1997 and Princess Diana's blossoming romance with Dodie Fired sees them return to the south of France, getting to know each other on a yacht away from prying eyes. Little do they know, a paparazzo is in pursuit and his shot of them kissing will become a global tabloid sensation. In Balmoral, meanwhile, Prince Charles's PR advisor encourages a counter photo shoot of Charles, William and Harry to emphasise royal stability compared to Diana's tabloid glamour. We'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode, so if you haven't managed to watch episode two yet, I suggest you do that now or very soon. Coming up on this episode of The Crown, the official podcast, Elizabeth Debicki will tell us about working with her co-stars. I just sort of desperately tried to make him love me. <laughs> and which, you know, as we know, has the opposite effect, usually with a 16-year-old. But, you know, I remember the first thing he said was like, I'm such a big fan of Tom. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> We'll also hear from director Christian Schwoho. Being able to kind of complete Diana's story as a non-British director felt like a big, big gift. But first, I spoke to executive producer Suzanne Mackey. The last season of the show, emotional for that in itself, but the first part of the season in particular is incredibly emotional to watch. Just in terms of going into that and making that, how was that for, for you personally? Because, you know, there's, there's real memories attached to these moments. We've we've lived it, it's in our lifetime now. How was this season for you to make? Yes, I mean, it's really interesting thinking about the first half of season six, which is really dealing with Diana and the lead up to her tragic death and how might that have happened and the events leading up to that. And we knew, you know, right at the beginning of season one, that one day we'd be talking about that. Mm. And we always knew by season six, we would be telling Diana's death and meeting Dodie and, and the Alphayeds. So it, in our minds, that's always been part of the larger architecture of the show. You've talked, I know, a lot in the past to our research team who are extraordinary. And as we got closer and closer to season six, I started reading a lot around the last few days of Diana's life 
and the events and what happened. And I, you know, you sort of think you know the detail, but of course you don't. And it is an extraordinary time. And Peter always described it as a sort of awful, tragic inevitability. There was something about the energy around Diana at the time that was so frantic. Yeah. There were so many photographs. I remember watching, you know, the news and reading papers and you just, it was inescapable. Diana, every which way you looked and and there she was. And and it felt like a, a, a difficult time. You talk about that, that kind of temperature and that kind of, that buzz and that constant attention that's on Diana and Dodie in this relationship. And with episode two, how would you describe where we find her in this episode? You know, she's at the start of what potentially is a blossoming new relationship. And we get a window into the trading. Mm. They're a commodity. This woman is a commodity. This relationship is a commodity. And you really feel that. And you get, I think what's great is the way that you show that world of the royal photographer as well versus the paparazzi and how different that is and how there's not an ounce of respect there. Mm. There's not an ounce of consideration for how someone feels. Mm. Absolutely. Yes, episode two, which again is a fascinating sort of framing device to take us to to the heart of what was happening at the time, which was that on one hand there was the sort of formality of back at home and in at that moment back at Balmoral of Prince Charles and the boys and uh, a very different world to Diana's Mediterranean, almost James Bond, glamorous, <laughs> you know, helicopters and jets and this the sunshine and the swimming costumes. And it was all so alluring and glamorous. And yet it just felt like a completely different world to back at home. And it did feel like this feeding frenzy with the press intrusion. My name is Mario Brenna. I am uh, 40 years old. I'm a professional photographer. I work in advertising and fashion, but uh, the market has gone crazy for society work. Everyone wants pictures of celebrities, pictures that show famous people. They are no different. They are human beings just like us making mistakes just like us. The old rules have changed. Now there are no rules, it's every guy for himself. Diana and Dodie are at that moment finding each other and finding a relationship and maybe, who knows whether it would have, mm. what, no one can know whether it would have grown into a substantial, serious, long-term, forever relationship or whether it was just a delightful, gorgeous romance. Yeah. But she was entitled to her privacy. She was entitled to have a new relationship. And and yet this awful, awful large lens went, you know, just crashing into her private life. And and so we wanted that photograph to, to sort of express the, this sense of the walls closing in on her, that she almost had nowhere to go. But I remember so clearly saying to Peter that the Bosnian landmine period of her life was the very best of Diana Mm -hmm. because she did do so much for charity. She gave so much. And I think she had extraordinary empathy and kindness. And so it was so important to depict the moment that she would give of herself to the landmine charity and that that was an important thing for her and that she just had a way of being around people that had 
been through something awful and just reaching them. Now that the war is over, we were afraid the world would move on, but the work is only just beginning. It's true. You know, when she found that journey, that solo journey that she was on, even before that, really, she made those decisions to just go places and do things that nobody else had the kind of courage to do, really, whether it was the landmines with the AIDS patients, all of that. Yeah, no, she really was extraordinary. And, And I know, you know, my mother used to work at Great Ormond Street Hospital and she said she would often just turn up on her own late at night and just sit with children that were dying. Yeah, she said it was frequent. So it was really important to capture that moment Mm. of her giving, in spite of all her celebrity, in spite of the fact she'd become such an icon. That was important to her. And then to have, yet again, something so good and so worthy and so worth celebrating to be hijacked by another narrative, which was, ooh, look who she's falling in love with, look who she's kissing, look at what she's wearing. You know, it's like, oh, for God's sake, that is so depressingly puerile and facile, you know, of all the good... And, you know, and yet when she died, of course, the whole of Diana's achievements were celebrated and acknowledged. And I think that's why her death shook society so much around the world, because she was, you know, she was just such a vivid character. I thought I might fly to LA when you go to Bosnia. And talk. That's brave. <laughs> Not as brave as flying to Bosnia and walking in the fields of landmines. Do you know anything about it? No. It's actually a huge problem. Quite apart from landmines killing thousands of people, often children, landmine survivors are frequently rejected by their communities because of their disfigurements and injuries. It's terrible. There's a man called Ken Rutherford who drew my attention to it. He started the Landmine Survivors Network. But after his jeep hit a landmine in Somalia, he lost both his legs. He said to me, every survivor has a date, the day they stepped on the landmine. He said, mine was December 16th, 1993. And I said, mine was the 29th of July, 1981, my wedding day. <laughs> the chemistry between Elizabeth and Khaled is just, is extraordinary. You really get the sense that there's a connection there, whether it's a friendship connection or a romantic connection. It doesn't really matter, but you just feel there's a connection there between these two characters. And, you know, and, and Elizabeth and Khaled find that in their performances. Yeah, well, Elizabeth and Khaled, oh, I mean, you know, Elizabeth is just, I think she's an extraordinary actress. I really, really... them. I thought she was outstanding in season five. And then in season six, I was still <laughs> completely blown away by what she did. She has such great range. You know, she's got a lovely lightness of touch. She, she, I think she found Diana's humour and wit and sparkle and flirtatious nature, charm, absolute charm. She really caught that. And I think mm. she's got a fantastic intuition for that side of Diana, the playfulness. And then her sort of, tragic isolation as well and as a mother and as a as an ex-wife and as a lover and as a celebrity of her day I think Elizabeth Debicki gave such thought to that and such intelligence and 
Khalid's an incredibly intelligent, deep, deep thinking, mm. beautifully kind, quite an exceptional person, actually. Both of them. And they loved their characters so much, yeah. you know. Khalid was so thoughtful about Dodie yeah, and the depiction tell. of him. Mm. Yeah, and so he brought such humanity to him. And there was nothing, there was not one moment, one word, one line in the scenes they did that they didn't think about and care about and talk about. Later, Elizabeth Debicki will tell us more about working with Khalid Abdallah to thoughtfully portray Dodie and Diana this season. But first, I sat down with one of The Crown's long-standing directors and an executive producer this season, Christian Schwoho. Christian directed episodes two, three and four of season six. Christian, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, nice to be here. How was it coming back though for another season? Well, I actually never left because, <laughs> you know... You're not the first one to say that. It's it's the truth. I mean, season five, you know, or people who are not part of our industry, shooting a show or a film is always the shortest period of the filmmaking. So yeah. what comes before and what comes after the shooting takes way more time. Mm. I was the last one to shoot on season five and the second one to start filming on season six. So I was doing all the editing and work with the composer and yeah. with the visual effects of season five when I had already started working on the final season. So it was working back to back without a break. Yeah. But of course now coming back for the final, final season, of course, was very special. First of all, because it is the final season. Mm. It will never come back, so they say. <laughs> um <laughs> And also on season five, I love both of my episodes, but the relationship with the cast and especially meeting Elizabeth the Bicky as Diana was quite magical to me. Yeah. Being able to kind of complete Diana's story as a non-British director felt like a big, big gift, the crown would make me so oh. um that was a very personal episode for me in season five mm -hmm. the divorce of charles and diana and to continue this specific character's journey was very special we have talked to quite a lot of people about you and your wonderful work across mm. these three consecutive episodes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. They're very important episodes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because they're years, but it's it's quite a it's quite an unusual approach for the crime where normally episodes are standalone, but your story runs over a time period and there's a connection between, you know, two and three particularly and four feels almost a bit like a a reboot in a way. Yes, and uh, episode one, directed by my friend Alex Gabassi, is yeah. also part of it. I mean, Dodie and Diana, from when they met until the day they died, it was six weeks only. It's crazy to think that, isn't it? It is crazy, yeah. And so, that's documented in this show. It's yeah. told in this show. You're telling us the story of Diana and Dodie's last weeks of life. How you approach something like that in light of the subject matter and the emotional attachment that it has. It must affect you. It must be 
it must hover there. It must be kind of there in some way, is it? Well, there's this time of preparation mm. where the scripts are being written and developed, but then, of course, you read every draft and then you already know you have these three episodes that belong together. And, you know, in the first scene of episode two, you can already feel the end. You know what I mean? You yeah. already know yeah. when you see the introduction of Mario Brenna, the Italian paparazzo, we already feel this is part of them dying. Yeah. So, of course, there's all the groundwork that you do with the research team and you see all the footage and you read all the books and uh, you, you know, get engaged with all the material and you talk to the actors. But actually, what I wasn't prepared for is every single day of this shoot, it was about dying, about grief, about people having lost a very close person. Yeah. So this was the longest shoot of my career as a filmmaker, almost 80 days. And every day there were moments where we had to cry. And that is draining. That yeah. is, um, I still get emotional talking about it because every day, um, even though you're together as a team, it's incredibly lonely. It's And it's something you can't really... I weren't able to prepare because, of course, you go so deep into what it means for a child, like for William and Harry. You know, mm -hmm. the last scene they see their mother is a scene in episode two, and it's a happy farewell. And they don't know this is the last time they will have seen her. Yeah. And even though the scene is light, but underneath it's you know, yeah. the catastrophe is already there. And this, I think, counts for every single scene on those three episodes. In episode two, two photographs, it's the contrast that we have throughout this episode. So you have that with these two different types of photographers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a very special Crown episode. It's, it's the shortest Crown episode in history. I can't believe that because there's so much in it. Yeah, but basically it's the contrast between an Italian paparazzo and a Scottish, very trustworthy, um, old, let's say old-fashioned traditional photographer. Mm -hmm. And it's about two photographs in a time where photographs became more and more important. Um, mm. It's like biggest bidding war for photos, private photos of Dodie and Diana on the yacht. It was the beginning of a really crazy time. Yeah, the episode has this one story where the Italian photographer is chasing Dodia and Diana to get a photo of them kissing and he gets what he wants. Mm. And it's the beginning of the end. After this, every paparazzo is dreaming of a shot like this from Dodia and Diana. Because kissing. of what that shot sold for. £250,000 to the Sunday Mirror initially, but I think it went on to make over a million pounds sold to other publications around the world. It's shocking. That was a new dimension back then. Mm. An absolutely new dimension. Then it's also the story of Charles and his sons doing a counter photo to use the reputation about scandalous Diana for their own purposes of winning back trust and of mm. winning back admiration within the public. And they succeeded. And it's it shows how perverted these things mm. have become. And yeah. even this couple, Charles and Diana, who were almost 
back to a friendly level at this point, continued a war through the media. Yeah, coming here today, I couldn't help being struck by the two very different cultures at play here. Saint-Tropez, Scotland. Scandal, dignity. Irresponsibility, duty, selfishness, principle, a tabloid princess as opposed to a, a broadsheet prince. Now, how would you feel about doing a counter photo, you and the princess? Hasn't everyone had enough of photographs? Well, if anything, this week's events have proved just how powerful a photograph can be. You've got the underlying tension, darkness that's there. You know, you're still telling the story. We're still experiencing what they're going through. How do you approach building that sense of tension and threat across the episodes while still storytelling? without it kind of taking over in a way? It was tricky because we, we really wanted to be subtle. I guess in episode two, the beginning, the, the opening sequence with the Italian, I mean, he's a bit of a show off, isn't he? But only the size of his lens that he's kind of putting into his, um, his bag felt quite threatening to me. Mm. I mean, those... It's like a sniper. It is like a sniper, exactly. And so you kind of feel the way he's introducing himself. Okay, this man, is he, he calls himself a killer. And I feel we don't need much more to get a sense of like, okay, if he calls himself a killer, we will see him kill. So I don't know if you, if you noticed that we, the music, for instance, is very sparse in that episode. We didn't use thrillery elements this episode is very sunlit it's very bright it's light it's past beautiful places but i guess the tension that i'm trying to create here is sometimes in a moment of loneliness of diana where we can feel she already knows this is not perfect it's a tension that as if the characters sense that, that something is going to happen. Well, you get that kind of almost like slightly itchy in her own skin feeling yeah. when, you know, when she's kind of can't speak to her boys or, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're the thing that is the most important thing to her. Yes. And, you know, there's a moment where it's just, it's the scene before she sees them for the last time. So they're in Kensington Palace and the boys are wrapping up their stuff and then she wants a hug from Harry and then she wants a hug from William but he's a bit reluctant to give her a hug and says, well, it's only three weeks but then she wants that hug. And I, you know, Elizabeth and I, we talked about it and it's a light scene and it's a very playful scene but as if she she needs that hug because she f probably f senses it's the last time I'm going to hug my son. Harry's waiting. <laughs> You're the best hugger. Come on. Thanks. Hug, hug. Really? It's not for long. Oh, it's three weeks. It's an eternity. Need a world-class hug to fill me back up. All right. Won't do it properly. You've got my back. Phone call every day. Yep. Do you promise? Mm-hmm. I promise. 
because there's also that scene that you talk about where she drops the boys off with Charles. It's just coming after this one, yeah. yeah, where we see his last look through through the window. It's not a close-up. It's very subtle. Mm. And also that lovely, like you said earlier about, you know, Charles and Dyer, they're almost at this friendship moment. And that's a really lovely scene that highlights that. Yeah. And the kind of slight flirtatious, but they have this kind of... Very flirtatious, flirtatious actually. And then, you know... The script's great in that scene as well. Yeah, what they share and the level and also what I... It's, it's, you know, I know this from my kids um, because they're with um, separated parents. I had the boys looking at their parents standing so close because there's always the hope. Yeah. Will they ever be together again? Yeah. So it feels kind of light. Yeah. But there's so much underneath Mm. and for all four. They can't wait to be rid of me. Give it a couple of days, they'll be dying to see you again. Have you got exciting plans for the summer? Mm. I heard Bosnia. Mm. The landmines charity. Good for you. So proud of you. Thank you. And finally, it's time to hear from Elizabeth Debicki, who, for the last time, plays Princess Diana. I was lucky enough to sit down with Elizabeth after filming wrapped on season six. It was a very chilly day on set at Elstree Studios, one of the huge stages used as Diana's apartment. You may remember that we spoke to Elizabeth from the same set on the last season of The Crown, the official podcast. But back then, she was still very close to the character. So naturally, I was interested to find out how she feels sitting down in the same place a year later. This is the opposite of the last time. The last time I was, I was like, <laughs> who are you and why are you in my house? <laughs> get out of my get living out. room. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was still 100% in character as well. Because I remember that process of you asking me questions and I, it was like a totally disassociative experience. Where now it's the opposite. Now, now I got to crank back. You've been finished for a while. And you're, yeah, you're you're back here. Is it yeah. weird coming back to talk about it then? I think it probably is going to be weird. <laughs> Let's, Let's see. see. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a stop and a start moment between the two seasons for you in terms of parking season five and then stepping into? film in season six or did they just kind of flow we did have about i think it was about a four month hiatus and i was in the states for most of that so i had sort of geographical distance but i actually looking back now i thought i was taking a break but i don't really think i did because and I, i think it would have been sort of impossible to drop the ball i sort of like slightly parked it you I went, gently put it somewhere and I looked at it every day. <laughs> said, I'll be back soon. You're just Diana on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just like a, you know, not to get too kind of whatever woo-woo on it or something, but it is like an energy that you have to suspend. I kind of had to hold it up in the air for yeah. a while. Going back, it was really interesting. I've actually never done two seasons of anything. I've never come back and played the same character in a film Oh, that's a lie. I did it on a Marvel movie, but that was a much smaller part. But um, so that was really interesting 
I spoke a lot about that to Khaled, who plays Dodie as well, because we both were just talking about how different the prep was and that it was a little scary at times because it almost felt like at times I thought a bit panicked and I thought, I haven't done my homework. And then I thought, well, I've done my homework so deeply that it now lives in my body and I don't have to do the recall or so it was yeah it was it was a it was almost like a trust full exercise going into yeah. season 2 but I loved it because as soon as I tried to do it again it was all just very available and coming into season 6 and I was interested to ask you whether you know we as an audience and you you know the the, the end point of this character's life and whether almost trying to ignore that tragedy in a way so that you can play that character in the moment and day by day and experience by experience Yeah, without knowing that. Is that something that you thought about and tried to? You know, one of the things that I discovered in doing this season and, and then it became, I sort of discovered it and it became important to me and something that I championed a lot was a belief that I held as the actor playing the character that the time before the inevitable end was a, had moments of real joy and happiness and kind of relief and there was a respite. And so, you know, it became important to me to just fully release into that. And that helped me as an actor to not push too far ahead of myself, just like actually like we're going to have this scene with the kids and it's sunny and we really are on a boat and, you know. And then a lot of the story is also about this kind of very horrific mounting pressure of press and paparazzi. Mm. And that's also was just something that in order to play those scenes, I think Caleb would agree, we were just very reactive to what was happening literally like second to second. So it was almost like a lot of present work, not a lot, and which I just lent into in order to not think, you know, in any end gaining way. Yeah. How would you describe where we find the character Diana in this season? You know, you mentioned there about there are moments of joy, there's contentment, there's happiness. I think um, the way that Peter's written the story, it's like an unexpected delight of meeting a person who is to more or less of a degree available to be met and uh, really playful and She goes on a vacation because she needs to get out of England, which we can all currently, everybody in this room can understand. (laughs) And we need a bit of sunshine and wants to take the boys away. And there's Mumu with this kind of, he's made it very accessible and available, that degree of escape. And there's obviously enough protection around it. And then pretty immediately it becomes clear that they're going to be hounded by the paparazzi, which is the usual negotiation. But then um, I'd say... She's almost kind of resolved to just have a kind of nice time. Yeah. And then something kind of unexpected happens, which can happen in life when you meet somebody and they something kind of sparks. You and Khaled, before we get onto Diane and Dodie, how did you find that with each other? Was it just instant? Was it a natural thing? Actually, you- it sort of was, yeah. We didn't work very much, well, really at all in season five. I... I think we both really kind of respected each other as actors, which is always like a really nice place to start from. The work that I'd seen him do in season five, I thought was just so beautiful and nuanced, really delicate. He is just the kindest, so intelligent and like deeply respectful human being and really wise person. And 
I think we both really needed each other because we knew we were going to sort of, sort of embark on something that was going to be, you know, in answer to your other question. Mm. We know, we knew what was coming as actors and, and that had a real, real like, a di- you know, a deep, deep sadness in us. And so we needed each other to like ride through the waves with. Even just that thing, there's a real focus on hands, holding hands, mm. stroking up, you know, just mm. contact. Mm which is not something you see that much in the crime. No, people don't touch each other in England. Um, uh, I can say that as an Australian. Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you think I like most about you? My eyes. No, but I do like your eyes. My credit card. <laughs> but I do like your credit card. (laughs) Your hands. Why my hands? Because men's hands are so important. Like their lips have to be just the right temperature. Are mine the right temperature? I don't know. Need to check. I think the thing about Khaled is I found his energy to be so comforting Mm. because he really listened to me when I'd say, oh God, I slept terribly. I don't know what to do with this line. I just get me off this boat (laughs) and, you know, whatever. And he'd just sit there and he'd say, "Mm, and what else? And tell me more. Just like so much time and patience, which is what I needed at that point. For some reason, I really needed to be heard. And he provided me that. And I think that's also what his dodi provides for my Diana and mm. just to be heard and to be, to feel like what you have to say is important and that somebody thinks you're intelligent and worth listening to was kind of revolutionary, you know, and very empowering and made you want to spend more time with that person. So last time we spoke, you were talking about when you'd been on the boat the previous time with the kids and and, and the helicopters and having fun and stuff, but you got the opportunity to play Diana, the mother. And it's these, these different roles that we see her in as well with Rufus, you know, mm-hmm. having a teenage William in particular. Mm-hmm. How would you describe the Diana and William relationship? Because it's very different to the Diana and Harry mm-hmm. relationship that Peter's written. Well, I need him <laughs> and I need his appro- his like fleeting teenage approval. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth, to Rufus, and Diana <laughs> to William. Desperate to, I mean, what a, like, fickle thing it is to be approved by a teenager, you know, and how desperately we want it. It's crazy. Like, you know, Flynn, who plays Harry, he was just my my little buddy from the start. But Rufus was so, I mean, first of all, extraordinary. And from, like, from the second they turned that camera the first day, I just thought, oh, my God, this kid is amazing and and so in the part and so you know in his body and his observational skills are just so incredible but I just sort of desperately tried to make him love me (laughs) and which you know as we know has the opposite effect usually with a 16 year old but you know I remember the first thing he said was like I'm such a big fan of Tom I was like you should have a chat um you know I just I just love him and he was he was the perfect amount of warmth and and connection but he was also very kind of aloof and I just know that I was really happy when I was around them and they were great 
friends and they were great scene partners and they were my buddies. And, you know, I had a sort of tricky day one day where I just, I, I don't know, my brain just stopped <clears throat> working and I was, I think I was very tired and probably a little bit seasick and just, just went like, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> and they were like absolutely just there all of a sudden. And then little Flynn was just sort of holding my hand for the rest of the day and Rufus was making sure I had cups of tea and, <laughs> you know, they were divine and they were incredibly good on camera and I loved them. And it's so brilliant to see the relationship with Charles in this season as well. Mm. And that particular scene, I mean, I broke down so many times watching these episodes for so many reasons, but that scene that you have with Dominic at the car mm. when you're kind of handing the boys over mm. to go off to Balmoral. And it's almost kind of the antithesis of the omelette scene. And it's it's a really beautiful place that they found themselves at. Mm. How would you describe that relationship at that point between Diana and Charles? And how have they got there? We just kind of jumped into it. I don't, we didn't really talk about it. We didn't really think about it. It was a natural, whatever that place was, was almost the natural place that I feel like our, we wanted to function as those characters. You yeah. know, there was like respect and we have the benefit of having shot the thing for, you know, more than a year. So we have all this kind of lived history and we just sort of let it be there. And, and again, the writing of that scene is, I think, really beautiful. It's very believable. I think there's just a kind of peace a very hard one piece. Can I make a, a request? Even though we weren't brilliant at being married, can we, um, can we be brilliant at all this? I think so. And not just for them, but for us too. She didn't get to keep the man of her dreams, but the friend of her dreams. I mean, it's much more than a friend. Partner. <laughs> All right, she said, giving the brave smile of the runner-up, not the winner. Let's be brilliant at divorce. Thank you. With a scene like that, I mean, how many takes did you do on something like that? Because it is wonderful to see that the dance that you almost do with each other and how close you end up. Right. Not necessarily physically, but as people. I don't think we did too many. From memory, we had like about eight seasons to work with. So it was like raining one take and <laughs> the sun was out and then it was cloudy. And my main memory of that scene, and I'm sure it hasn't made it in, is that we did, I think we did the first take we we didn't really rehearse it either we just kind of the, I think the way that our Charles and Diana move around each other is is this kind of weird push and pull of like attraction and then kind of not repulsion like a, a just a kind of negative space between them it's something I think that we just naturally had but it also makes a lot of sense for these two characters who've lived as kind of symbols and also of mirror images of each other and also kind of like symbolic spacing you know I mean in real life obviously like every time there was an extra five centimeters added between 
the distance they stood apart from each other, that was analyzed to the hilt and it was just, you know, it was just so aggressive. And so I think they're quite spatially aware people. Mm. And I think we were also quite happy to see each other. We hadn't really seen each other for a while as characters and as people. So we had a nice time doing it. But I I remember doing like maybe the first or second take. And he was talking, it had eyelash right on his nose and I plucked the eyelash off his nose and kind of kept talking and he didn't even flinch. He just sort of let me like take the thing off and we were talking, talking. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't sort of clock that I had done it. And then, um, and then Christian, the director came out and said, the eyelash thing is a bit big. <laughs> and I was like, the what? And then I went, oh shit, yeah, I did, I did. I totally, like, totally invaded his personal space while he was delivering his, like, you know, lines. And he did not even, you know, clock it. And I and I remember thinking, oh, I don't know, that was sort of indicative of wherever we were shooting yeah. that thing, that's where we were. Well, you felt the character as well at that point as well, yeah. that that could have been, yeah, you know, yeah. How, how intimate they could be. Yes. You mentioned paparazzi earlier, and that's a really big theme that's kind of run throughout the crown, really, in terms of it's like a character, really. The press has been a character throughout the whole whole of the crown since the first season. Peter kind of really cleverly, particularly in, in this season, really highlighting the change in the media landscape. And her relationship changes, the character's relationship changes with the press through this season as well mm. and you know particularly when you look at that moment where she's just doing she's found something that she can really throw her weight behind and she's doing the great good you know the greater good and it just gets the rug mm. gets pulled out from underneath her and they just seem to turn her on her like at the flip of a coin almost mm. in a way how do you see the character's relationship with the press well, I think it is what, what you said. It's incredibly fickle. I think the way that Peter's written that between Diana and the press, it's it's always been a relationship born out of mutually beneficial transactions that at times, it's they're sort of like a slippery beast that have to be kept at bay, feed them little pieces of something and and also at times used very distinctly to try and get your narrative across and I think it's just really heartbreaking because although of course she never believes that she can trust them or that it's this kind of solid ground underneath her I just think what she was doing really was to speak of like a factual kind of mm. time so important and really powerful and made enormous change and yet the focus was obviously on Jodie and her and I just think it would have been just deeply disempowering. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bosnian war is over. People are trying to rebuild their lives but they can't as there are hundreds of thousands of landmines still hidden. Every 20 minutes across the world Someone is maimed or killed by anti-personnel landmines. Diana, does the Queen know about your new boyfriend? Gordon, if we could stick to the subject at hand, please. Are you in love, Diana? Please, can we stick to the subject of landmines? 
We're not answering personal questions. What about uh, William and Harry? What do they think about, uh, about your new boyfriend? You've had a bit of time to say goodbye to the character. Has that been easy to kind of switch off from Diana and the crown? It is tricky. I think it's happening in layers. feels like a, it just takes time to yeah. let go. And then there are certain things that I've learnt along the way being close to this character that I will keep, you know. There are certain things that are a relief, you know, like just to be back in your own body. I think acting is a kind of really strange undertaking at times and actually will shift things about your body, the way you're moving in space, how you're using your voice, all these things. So it's been nice to just walk through space as myself, you know, <laughs> things like that have been good but I I will I think I'll always miss I can't even really say what it is it was just there was this it's just been a gift to play that part and I love her like I, I love that character you know the thing about being in this character for a time is just like the the degree of of love in this person like the kind of ferocious spirit to give and change and make and shake things up and and how deeply I loved these other characters there's just you know that it's very sort of vivid and and it really vibrates very strongly and I think that's how it feels to play that character for me and and there's a kind of like there's like a technicolor thing to being inside that character that's kind of remarkable and like really so fun. I'm Edith Bowman. I'd like to give special thanks to our guests in this episode, Suzanne Mackey, Christian Schwoho and Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and Sony Music Entertainment in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join me next time when I go behind the scenes of the third episode of this series titled Dis-moi Oui. Diana is determined to return home to her sons after another Mediterranean trip on the Alphide yacht. But a detour to Paris derails her plans. With the paparazzi in pursuit, Dodie and Diana's situation becomes dangerously out of control. He's agreed. We can use the jet. But if you don't mind, we'll stop in Paris first. What? Why? There's something I have to do. It really won't take long. All right. But I need to find time to phone the boys. Of course. Missing them terribly. Yeah. For sure. Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts.